Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. As the invasion of Ukraine stretches into its third week, civilian areas and cities continue to be under fire from Russian forces. A maternity hospital in the port city of Mariupol was destroyed by a Russian airstrike on Wednesday, injuring 17 people, including women in labor. Talks between Russia and Ukraine have so far made no progress. The mayor of the capital, Kyiv, said that roughly half the city's population has now fled. In fact, 2.3 million people from all over Ukraine have left the country, and 1.4 million of them have ended up in neighboring Poland. Lots of people have opened up their houses. They've brought people in to stay. Uh, The schools here have opened up and and turned themselves into shelters. You're seeing just an outpouring of donations. But the feeling also is, is this sustainable? And it probably is not sustainable. Paul Waldy, the Globe's Europe correspondent, has been in Poland up and down the border with Ukraine since the invasion started. He'll tell us what he's hearing from people who have fled the war and how Poland is responding to the influx of refugees. This is The Decibel. Paul, thank you so much for joining us again. Sure, glad to. You've been covering the Ukraine refugee situation from Poland uh, pretty much since this war began. You've spoken to a lot of people fleeing Ukraine. You also uh, worked on a photo essay where people were showing you the things they were bringing with them across the border. What kinds of things were people taking with them? That was a pretty intense four days. We, we, we decided that what we wanted to do was, how do you illustrate this? Like when, when you see these pictures of, of millions of refugees walking across the border with suitcases, with backpacks, it's, it's all they're bringing with them. So, so what do they have? What's in those suitcases? What did they bring? Mm-hmm. So you ask them and you say, okay, well, I brought clothes, I brought documents, I brought food. And then you say, yeah, but what did you bring that will remind you of home? What were the things when you're running out of the house? And we can all relate to this. If there was a fire, if there's an earthquake, if there's something happening and you have 15 minutes to get out of your house, what are you going to grab? And that's what we asked them. And every single one of them, we talked to about 30 plus, they all had something. And it was... I, it was, it was hard because they had, you know, little kids had books and dolls. And one woman told us how she was walking to the border and she picked up a pine cone because she wanted to have a piece of Ukraine with her always. You know, one woman said, you know, I used to leave my wedding ring lying on the house. And when I had to leave, I had to make sure I had my wedding ring. And she did. And we talked to children about the toys they brought. And we talked to a a kid who brought a canteen because it reminded him of the canteen his brother had. His brother's in the military now. It, it, it was things like that. A woman, we said, you know, are you sure you're going to go back to your house? Are you ever going to have a house to go back to? And she said, yes. And she pulled out her house keys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's stuff like that. Just It, it gets to you, right? It was, it, was a, it was a tough four days and every single person had something. There's now over 2 million people that have, have fled in this way. Um, yeah. you're, you're in Poland there, Paul. What's the feeling on the ground like there now? 
you, what you see, what, you, what strikes you first when you walk into these shelters with thousands of people is it's 90% women and children. You know, mothers, grandmothers, aunts, sisters, there's very few men. And then what strikes you is there has been an incredible outpouring of support from the community here. I mean, it has strained this area to say the least. I mean, Seamus is a city of 50,000 people and they're getting 50,000 refugees per day here. You know, the, the number the number of Ukrainians alone is swamping the total population of this area. So they're struggling. I think that the local government has really struggled in terms of setting up shelters, in terms of providing, you know, food and clothing and that kind of thing to people. But the community itself has been pretty incredible. Lots of people have opened up their houses. They've brought people in to stay. Uh, the schools here have opened up and, and turned themselves into shelters. You're seeing just an outpouring of donations. But the feeling also is, is this sustainable? And it probably is not sustainable. Uh, the structure in place here is pretty haphazard, tends to be run by a lot of NGOs, a lot of charitable organizations, kind of ad hoc. And there's a real sense that if they get overwhelmed with another million or so refugees, can this city, can this area cope? And the feeling is it probably can't. Of all the countries that border Ukraine, why are so many people ending up in Poland? I mean, aside from Bulgaria, it's one of the few countries that is part of the European Union, has a long border with uh, Ukraine, has quite a history with Ukraine, both uh, controversially good and bad during World War II. But nonetheless, there is a lot of history there. There's an awful lot of Ukrainians living in Poland already. Poland has about a million plus Ukrainians who live here, who work here, who've been here. So a lot of the people arriving in this initial wave uh, certainly in the last week or so, already have friends, family in, in Poland or in other parts of the EU. So there's real interconnection between the two countries already. However, it's the future waves that are coming. And these will be people who probably don't have uh, family or friends in Poland or in the EU. And they're going to need settlement. They're going to need places to live and places to stay and, and find work and all kinds of things. And you mentioned the, the shelters that people do get to. Can you, I guess, describe a little bit about where these shelters are located? I guess, what kind of buildings are they in and, and what do they look like? There's two large ones that have just kind of been created here uh, in Seamus and in a nearby town. And they're both in vacant shopping malls. One was a uh, supermarket with a shopping mall sort of surrounding it that was empty. And the, the owner turned it over to the city and it's now being used as a shelter. It is vast. It is a, you can imagine, you take your, your typical superstore and empty it out and fill it full of people with cots. That's what you're looking at. The other one is an even larger shopping center. It's actually part of a trade comp, a trade show complex. It's full. When we were there, it was full of 3,000 people, but it's sure got to have more and more in there by now. So those are the very large uh, shelters that have kind of been created, again, ad hoc. But then when you go into villages, you'll see the village hall will have 30 cots in it. You'll see another business might have 20 cots up in the office. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. You know, people are being fitted in everywhere and people are opening up shelters in every kind of building you can imagine. It sounds like a lot of this effort is pretty grassroots, like people opening up their businesses, people helping out at the like at the local center. Where's the Polish government in all of this? Well, that, that was the question early on. And, and certainly the people we talked to at the different centers said this is very much a bottom-up effort, you know, clearly. The government has gotten more involved lately, and some of these larger centers are much more managed by the city or the regional government. However, what's happened now is, yes, okay, the border area, you're seeing the local government kind of getting involved and the regional government kind of getting involved. You see the military at a lot of these shelters now helping out. 
But what happens next is it's going to move up to Warsaw. The people here are going to move to Warsaw. And in Warsaw, the city government has been quite adamant that they're not getting the help they need from the national government. And they're looking at setting up massive shelters, some holding 5,000, 10,000 people. And they're saying they're not getting the support from the national government. So there's a lot of infighting, I think, going on here and a lot of struggle going on here about how to handle this crisis. Yeah, because, I mean, people, it sounds like people are coming over the border. They can't stay in that immediate place for very long. So they have to kind of move up to other parts of Warsaw or other cities. But that would take a lot of coordination. That costs a lot of money. Has the government said, is there going to be any kind of coordinated effort here to, to deal with this? Not a lot, no. And I think, again, now that they're realizing the scale of this this problem, initially the, the government strategy initially was, well, these people will come and then they'll move out. They'll come and then they'll move to Germany and they'll move to Italy and they'll move to the rest of the EU. They won't stay in Poland. And that was kind of what the mayor of Seamus was saying early on when we talked to him, like on day one or day two. He said, yeah, well, you know, they're only going to stay for a couple of nights. And by and large, that's happened, but that's not going to happen much longer. They are going to stay in Poland. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to stay in Poland. And the Polish government doesn't even have a refugee policy, let alone an immigration policy, because they've never really had to deal with anything like this. Mm-hmm. Poland has had a recent history of being sort of anti-immigration. They don't, they didn't participate in any of the resettlement programs for the Syrian and, and Middle Eastern uh, migration, you know, X years ago. So Poland's really wrestling now with what to do. And they're actually, the government has just sort of begun the, the process of passing legislation to deal with immigration, to deal with refugees. So I think... <laughs> the government here has a has a huge challenge on its on its hands. It's starting to get its head around it. It's starting to put some money to, towards it. Um, they're actually starting to pay people to take people into their homes. So it's happening, but it's happening slow, and it's happening very kind of uh, in bits and pieces. This isn't the first time in kind of recent history that Poland has taken in a lot of Ukrainians. I'm just thinking of 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea in, in southern Ukraine there. A lot of people came to Poland then. How did Poland handle the situation at that point? Is it Are there similarities to then and now or is it is it different? This is totally different because of the scale. I think in 2014, a lot of a lot of Ukrainians came here, and and it was okay. You know, again, they they had family connections, they had contacts. Uh, the Polish economy has has thrived because of Ukrainians. I mean, the Ukrainians came here in 2014. It was a boon to the economy here because they filled all kinds of jobs, low skilled jobs that Poles didn't want to do, and they were a huge boost to the economy. And to some extent, that will happen now. You know, Poland's unemployment rate is like five percent, so they do need the workers. But the scale now is so much larger. I mean, you're talking now, Poland has effectively, if all of these million people stayed here, Poland will have doubled its population of Ukrainians. Paul, I want to ask you about an issue that you've reported on recently, and that's the the racism that some African and South Asian, uh, mostly students, have faced trying to leave Ukraine. You wrote a piece just a few days after the invasion started about this. Can you tell us what you found here? There's tens of thousands of students in Ukraine. They were leaving along with everybody else. But when they got to the border, they were separated out of the line and they were told to wait in a particular area while Ukrainians were allowed to go through first. And many of them waited for hours and hours, if not days, with (laughs) completely frustrated as to why this was happening. Once they got onto the Polish side, crossing the border was fine. But the next challenge is, is Seamus itself. This is a small town 
in a very conservative part of Poland, which is already a very conservative country, not used to visible minorities at all. Uh, this is an incredibly white, uh, monoethnic country and area of Poland, and very nationalist here, very uh, you know right wing uh, focused here in, in in this part of Poland. And there have been reports of uh, groups of Polish nationalists and sort of what you might call uh, football hooligans showing up at the train station, harassing some of the African students and that. So it, it's it's been a challenge on both sides of the border. Uh, there's some suggestion that the Ukrainian government has stopped that kind of separation of people leaving Ukraine. Uh, and, and of course, now um, Shamish has to deal with uh, still the fact that a whole lot of people who don't look like everybody else are showing up here and they have to come to terms with that. And it's, it's challenging for them, no doubt about it. Poland took a, a pretty hard line on refugees not that long ago, kind of late last year, when thousands of asylum seekers from the Middle East and Afghanistan were physically prevented from crossing into the country um, from the, the Belarusian border. What's the difference then and now when the country does seem to be ready to take in refugees? I, I think, well, two things. One, in fairness to Poland, the, the whole Belarusian situation was compounded by the fact that Lukashenko, the dictator in Belarus, was sort of opening the doors and encouraging people to fly in from uh, parts of Iraq, Kurds from Iraq, encouraging them to come to Minsk, promising them easy passage to the EU, getting them to the border and then pushing them across. So there was this kind of orchestrated campaign on his part to destabilize the EU and to, you know, because there were sanctions and everything else. That was part of the issue. However, Poland's response was pretty brutal. They pushed them back. And there's no doubt that Poland has not been welcoming of asylum seekers from the Middle East, even before that incident when the EU was trying to tell EU countries they had to take their share of migrants coming in from Syria and, and, and the Middle East, Poland absolutely refused. And, and that position has remained firm. The difference with Ukraine, I mean, let's be frank, Ukrainians are white. Ukrainians look like them. Ukrainians kind of are like them. And again, there's these familial relationships. Uh, the overall context of this is very different. Poland is probably a harder line on Russia than any other countries in the EU. They've been very vocal about Russian expansionism for some time. So all of these things layered together, I think that's why you're seeing Poland opening its arms to Ukrainians coming in. That being said, historically, Ukrainians here have been treated pretty much like second-class citizens in many ways across Poland. They tend to do the jobs that Poles don't want to do, cleaning jobs, factory jobs, fruit picking, these kinds of things. So they've lived in, in kind of an odd relationship uh, with Poles anyway. But now that there's going to be another million or so coming and possibly staying, I think it's going to be, it, it will pose another challenge for this country because, yes, they're welcoming them. Yes, they're Ukrainians. Yes, we want them to come in. We're prepared to help. But long term, are they, how are they going to live with them is, is going to be interesting to see. In one of your recent stories from, from earlier this week, Paul, you, you talked to someone who had a, a gun store who's saying that people were worried about refugees from the Middle East in particular, I think. Do you, do you recall that conversation and, and what he exactly said there? Yeah, that was an elderly man who runs a, a gun shop in, in Central Seamus, and, and <laughs> he, he illustrates the difficulty this city is going to have with visible minorities because his whole, his whole, and he went on at length about how Muslims are going to come in, Middle Eastern people are going to come in, they're going to attack our women, and I'm selling pepper spray like crazy because women need protection. And it's, it's that kind of attitude that I think, you know, that, that one guy, I think, represents an awful lot of people here. And it reflects not only the fear of what's going on with Russia, but the fear of what could happen if there's a wave of immigration here. 
from the refugees you've spoken to, what's next for them? Or I guess, where, where are they hoping to go? It's getting harder and harder. You know, uh, early on it was, oh, I'm going to go stay with a friend. I'm going to say my sister lives in Poland or I got a brother in Berlin or I've got a, a friend or a long lost aunt in Amsterdam. Now you're running into people saying, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go. And they can't stay in the shelters. You know, the, the Seamus government has said you can only stay in a shelter for two nights uh, because they, they just don't have the beds. They, they, have, they, they have to keep moving people in and out. They've got 600 or so, maybe 1,000 beds. They can't have people staying there. But some people now are arriving with nowhere to go. And they don't know what to do. And they just go off. You know, we were talking to a woman who was at a, a cultural center in a small town uh, not far from Seamus, and they've opened up the cultural center to for for as a shelter for about thirty people, and she had the same thing. We can only we can only keep people for two days, and we don't know where they go. They get on a bus and and they go somewhere, and I don't know where they go. And she says she worries about it every day. What's going to happen to them? Because they're women, they're children, and they just go. Um, that I think is going to be a crisis point at some point because so many people are just going to end up here living God knows where. Paul, thank you so much for speaking with us today and thank you for the work you're doing there so so we know what's happening. Sure, glad to. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week.